Lord, we give you thanks today for your wonderful words of life to us, Lord, that you call us out of darkness into glorious light, and that you transfer us from a kingdom of death and darkness into one of light and love. Help us as we celebrate this baptism today to recall our own baptisms and the gift of grace that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we come with confidence, asking for God's blessing, especially through the sacrament of holy baptism. We'll pour water on Benjamin's head in a few minutes in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we will seal him with oil as one of God's chosen children, a son of God, something that can never be taken away, a son of God. This is the greatest blessing that any human being can possibly ask for. And of course, it's something that no human being can deserve. In Romans 6.4, St. Paul writes to the Roman church that we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. And so that's what we're doing today. Nothing less from death to life. Just like the tax collector in today's gospel, we come before God knowing that without Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing to save or justify ourselves. Nothing. We can try to be as good as we want. We can try to be moral people. We can try to discern and please God. But none of that matters in the eventual weighing of things. There's only one thing that matters, and that is whether we're found in Jesus Christ or not. Whether we've been washed in him or not. We do know some truths about God. We know that he's merciful and good. We also know that he's powerful and righteous or just. And we know that he loves us. Our story as Christians, as followers of Christ, as those that have been washed in him, is a continuation of our spiritual ancestors, the Hebrew people. The book of Hebrews tells us that while we look back to Jesus as Christians, some 2,000 years at this point, that the Hebrew people looked forward to Jesus. This is from Hebrews, Hebrews 11.13. These, and there's a list of the great prophets and patriarchs, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And today's canticle, as we continue this sermon on the church's canticle, the Deus Miserator, is illustrative of that. It's also Psalm number 67. So I invite you to open your bulletin with me to the canticle that we said together earlier in the service. 
It's on page six in the bulletin. Or you can open up in your Bibles to Psalm number 67, if you prefer. Then you'll have two translations to look at. What do we see here in this canticle? This song to God. It's a song of praise, right? But it's different than some of the other songs, some of the other canticles that we've said so far. I think the most, maybe the most impressive thing, or the most, certainly the thing that hits us first, is the fact that it starts with a statement of beseeching or imploring. Number one, we beseech God's mercy and his blessing. It continues to praise of God for salvation and abundance. And finally, it ends with the assurance of God's victory. Now, this is one of those that you have to kind of look at because if you blink, it's over, right? So if you look at it, do you see that there are actually three sections to it? The first section begins, may God be merciful unto us and ends with, be merciful unto us. Do you see that? That's the first section. The second section, let your way be known upon earth, is the first line. And let all the peoples praise you, is the last line. Then the third section is, then shall the earth bring forth her increase, and God, even our own God, shall give us his blessing. Okay, that's the third section. So those are the three sections that actually embody these three parts of the gospel. They're actually parts of the gospel. Notice the first one. How does this canticle start? May God be merciful unto us and bless us and show us the light of his countenance and be merciful unto us. What is this? It's a beseeching. That's not a word that we use very often anymore, right? It's still in the Book of Common Prayer because no modern English word really gets to it. What does it mean to beseech? It's more than just to ask, right? You know, I might come up to you and ask you for a piece of gum, right? Or for a drink of water. But it's something more than that. It's to implore, another old word, to implore to ask with all of ourselves, to beseech, to throw yourself down and ask God something. Okay? So the first part of this praise verse is to ask God for something. Specifically, to ask God to be merciful unto us. Be merciful unto us and bless us. And we know here that this is actually one of the psalms that's used for worship in the temple. There's musical notations in the original scripture of this. Not as modern musical notations, but, but, the, but the, the word salah, when you see that in the psalms, that's thought to be a musical notation of some sort. Okay, if you've looked, got your Bibles open, it probably says something like, to the choir master, right? So this is a worship song that starts by asking God to have mercy on us and to bless us. That's kind of different. But notice, it fits hand and glove with the passage from Jeremiah. Israel acknowledging her sins before God, knowing that she doesn't deserve God's covenant, right? But knowing that God loves her, Nonetheless, 
May God be merciful unto us, we implore with the ancient Hebrews. May the Lord be merciful unto us and bless us and show the light of his countenance and be merciful unto us. It's there again in case you missed it the first time. It's this attitude that embodies the gospel passage that we read today, or that Deacon Mark read to us, right? Who is the truly faithful person in the Gospel of Luke? Look with me at Luke 18, verse 12. Is it the Pharisee who tithes and does these great things? For God's people? Not according to Jesus. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Whoa. Talk about arrogance, right? I mean, the guy standing next to him? I thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. Do we ever think that in church? I hope not. He goes on, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, which is interesting, he's standing far away in the temple. Far away from whom? Probably from the front of the temple would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He knew the meaning of this first verse of the canticle, didn't he? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus tells us that the tax collector went home justified. Why? because he saw himself falling short of the glory of God. And of course, we know from Scripture that it's not the only one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, just like that tax collector, justified by the grace of God as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's Romans 3.23. So the Hebrews are right to begin by beseeching God's mercy, and so are we. And that's why in the liturgy every week we do. We do. We either read the Ten Commandments and say, Lord, have mercy upon me and incline my heart to keep this law, or we start by hearing the summary of the law and saying, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. We didn't today because we're in a baptism service. But we do that from week to week. The canticle continues, however, trusting in God's mercy. Right? So it's not just asking for mercy, but it's trusting in God's mercy. Notice, there is a holy boldness in this. Asking God to bless us. To bless us. Right? The word blessing occurs multiple times in this canticle. I think I counted three. But look where it occurs. It occurs at the beginning, and it occurs in the last section. Do you see it? 
And God, even our own God, shall give us his blessing. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the world shall fear him. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. Look how it occurs. It's a promise at the end of the canticle. But what is this blessing from God? You know, blessing is something, it's a word that we used all the time, right? I might be in the office and I sneeze or in the store and a random stranger says, Gesundheit or bless you, right? What's up with that? It's something that's still lingering in our culture, this idea of blessing one another. Even though people might not believe in God, they still say it. Well, who's blessing them, right? What does it mean to bless? What does it mean to bless? The answer is actually found in the canticle itself. Look with me back at the first section. May God be merciful unto us and bless us and show the light of his countenance upon us. What's that mean? That's old language, right? What's it mean to show the light of his countenance upon us? First of all, maybe that phrase sets off a flag in your mind because this is actually scripture quoting scripture. This is Hebrew shorthand quoting the Aaronic priesthood blessing from the book of Numbers. Right? So back in the book of Numbers, the priests of God, Numbers 6, 22 through 27, say this. They're told literally by God to say this to God's people. The priests are told. They're told, say, the Lord said to Moses, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious of be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So what ultimately does it mean to be blessed, according to Scripture? It means for the Lord to put his name upon you. The Lord to put his name upon you. The Lord to look at you with his face. Think about that for a minute. God of the universe looking favorably upon you with his face. To lift up and look at you and say, you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Where else is that in this canticle? It's actually all over the place. God blesses us by looking towards us and putting his name on us. Now, in some translations, there's actually a, a word between the first section of the canticle, may God be merciful unto us, and the second section, let your way be known upon the earth. Does anybody have their Bible open? What's the word between those two verses, between verses 1 and 2? I think that's how it works out in most translations. Okay, after that. Is there anything else? I know it's in the King James. I'm not sure if, what other translations it's in. 
It's the word that. It's the word that. Be merciful unto us that your ways may be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. So here's the second point, that we ask God to bless us so that we can bless others. When I was growing up, I, would, I used to visit a church in Akron called St. Luke's, and there was this stained glass window, and it was this scene of, um, uh, I, can't, I don't know what it's called, but it's a bunch of wheat gathered together. You see it sometimes down south in, in uh, Amish country this time of year. The, the, the hay is gathered together, and it's stacked up. It's not like a bale. It's like an overflowing, blooming, you know what I'm saying? It's on the state seal. You know, the Ohio State Seal. And underneath that picture said, blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That's what this canticle is actually saying. Because notice, let or that your way may be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Indeed, let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations rejoice and be glad, for you shall judge the peoples righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And we stop. That's the second section of the canticle. So what's the saying? That God bless us so that others may also bless you or praise you, right? Let all the peoples praise you. Do you see in here, in this canticle, if this is an evangelism canticle. We are blessed that we may be a blessing, whether it's we as the Hebrews first singing this in the temple, or we today singing this or saying this in church. We are blessed and asking God to bless us that we may be a blessing. And here's a really cool thing in this verse. Do you know that Jesus is in this canticle? Do you know that Jesus is in this canticle? You probably didn't notice it because most of you probably don't know Hebrew. But do you see the phrase... In the first section, it says, let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. You know what the word for saving health is in Hebrew? Yeshua. Yeshua. So you could literally read this, let your way be known upon earth, your Jesus among all nations. Way back here in Psalm 67, this idea of someone coming to save and bring saving health, whose name would properly be Yeshua, is mentioned. Jesus. Declared to be a blessing and asking to be, a bless to be blessed so that we might be a blessing. And of course, that's what Jesus does, right? Jesus is incredibly blessed by God so that he can bless all nations, all peoples, and bring the option of salvation to everyone. In Romans 10, 13, St. Paul once again writes to the Roman church, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him 
in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that is you and me preaching Jesus, preaching the saving health to all nations. What does that mean? Well, it means different things to different people. To some, it means to be a preacher. To some, it means to be a missionary. To some, it means to be an evangelist. To some, it means simply to ask God's blessing and bless others. To all of us, it means to act upon the fact that we've been blessed, to carry our baptism, the ultimate blessing with us wherever we go. And you know, it's really frustrating to me today because in a way, our world beats down with this idea of pluralism, beats down the blessing that we as Christians might be. Right? The world says, all religions are equal. As long as you're sincere, it's all good. If you buy into that as a Christian, stop. There is good in other cultures. Of course, there's good in other beliefs. There are truths in other religions. But we are blessed by God himself through Jesus Christ to be a blessing, to show forth that blessing. And if we buy into this idea that it's all equal with beliefs, then we're abandoning the gospel and we're not blessing others because we're not showing the blessings of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and our friends. All that we do at that point is muddy the water. And it's always under the guise of being nice or kind but being nice and kind is not always blessing somebody. What is? What is? What's the ultimate blessing? Bringing the saving health of God to somebody else. We as Christians have to be clear about who it is that blesses us so that others can see him through us. That's our task. And ultimately, why do we do that? So that other people become more like us? Do we just want others to emulate us so that there's more in our tribe or more in our belief system, right? That I feel better about myself because there's other people around me that believe the same way I do? No, that's wrong. Notice, what does the canticle say? What's it say? That all the peoples may praise God, right? Look at the end, it's a promise. Then shall the earth bring forth her increase. What's being talked about here? Well, you could go many different ways. This might be being used in a thanksgiving format, but I think there's a much deeper rationale for that line, and that's that the earth may produce an abundance of believers, an abundance of people that have been blessed by Jesus Christ. 
then the earth shall then shall the earth bring forth her increase and God even our own God shall give us his blessing God shall bless us and all the ends of the world shall fear him and the idea of fear there is not not to be afraid first and foremost but but to fear him because they behold his awesomeness because they behold who he is and how much he loves them and how much he deserves to be praised. Ultimately, we praise God and we ask for his blessing and his mercy so that others may praise God, ask for his blessing and mercy. I'll leave you with a quote from the famous Anglican preacher and writer John Stott, who passed away several years ago, he says this about this passage. We Christians cannot be content until every convert has become a worshiper. It may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. Take those two quotes together. Is there evidence of the saving health of Christ in your life, and are you eager to share that with others? And can you honestly say that it is your mission, first and foremost, that every convert, that means someone that has come to know and love Jesus, becomes a worshiper. That's the goal of this canticle. That's our charge. But friends, fortunately, oh, thank God, it's also God's promise that one day that will be the case, that all nations shall worship God. Thanks be to God, who has won the victory. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.